passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the June edition of Post ProRes. I'm John Pollock alongside WH Park, a stacked edition of Post ProRes. We've got a theme song to crown. We've got the history of Noah that we're going to fit in over the next hour and all the latest that's going on in Japan. But first and foremost, what is the update? How is WH Park doing? Uh, I'm fine, John. I'm you know, a little bored recently, you know, not much I'm doing these days except for going for walks and uh, just watching uh, stuff on TV and, and catching up reading comics and, and things like that. Ah, I have been dealing with um, a, a clock that is right on my table next to my bed that Max has gotten into just changing all the time. So when I wake up and I look at what time it is, that is just a mere chance that it's the time that i'm staring at that it is so this morning uh i was up uh 20 minutes later than i thought it was going to be but anyway that's that that's what uh, my battle was on saturday morning wh are there no like childproof clocks that you can buy for your home <laughs> I, I, might, I might have to look into that childproof clocks that was not one that i i thought would be on the checklist but it, it might be i mean he's changed this to like uh it's in like army time now he's just uh found out the buttons at the back so it's even when you change it back it's it's not going to stay that way for much longer but anyway that's uh that, that's one thing i will seek out a, a childproof uh clock but Man, we have a we have a lot to get to, uh, including I'm very look I'm very much looking forward to uh, our theme song contest and uh, this history of Noah. We're gonna look back because it was 20 years ago that the company took form and was a massive news story at the time. So we will guide your way through what what became of the split from all Japan and the formation of Pro Wrestling Noah. A very um, a, a very religious uh, theme to this, using using uh, Noah's Ark to go take. I, I guess two of two of each worker was probably the the initial hope. I mean, if only they could have cloned and had two Kenta Kobashis to go with them. Yeah, one with like uh, good knees, good knees, and, <laughs> and uh, one with a uh, good shoulder because like he kind of destroyed his like arm and shoulder from doing all those chops and stuff, John. So it'd be uh, it'd be behooving to them to have cloned like at least two versions of him with like working body parts. Well, we start off on um on a real down note, and that of course uh, last weekend being the uh, the unfortunate passing of Hana Kimura at the age of twenty two. Um, we had WH on last week uh, after the Double or Nothing show, uh, but just in the days that followed uh, WH, I know you were you you picked up uh, some copies of the Weekly Pro Wrestling, but I, I imagine that the, the coverage there has been pretty enormous because worldwide, you know, with the Terrace House connection and everything, like this was this was certainly much more than just a, a wrestling story. I think with the worldwide coverage, even if 
like the media in Japan wasn't going to necessarily pick it up. They would be forced to just because it just became like this worldwide story. And the coverage has just been to the point where like, you know, the government is talking about this and, and to get the government in Japan to do talk about anything is, is pretty, it's a pretty big deal, John. So like, you know, like this has kind of resonated with a lot of people in Japan because like, you know, bullying is, is, is a, is something that exists in Japan. It's, it's, it's a pretty big problem here. And cyberbullying is as extensive, if not maybe even worse in Japan than it is in maybe like Western countries. Because if you understand this kind of idea of the public face in Japan, which is like the, the persona that you present to, you know, to your friends and your coworkers, and that's the polite person. And then there's a private face, which is like where you keep all your true feelings, like the anonymity of, of like Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever allows that private face to become more public without consequence. So I think, you know, that you have all this pent up frustration in people like and they just let it out on social media. And I think, unfortunately, this like, you know, was directed towards, you know, towards Hana Kimura from people who it seems like more in the realm of the, the Terrace House fandom rather than pro wrestling fandom. Yeah, I mean they they've they've suspended the the current season of Terrace House and you would like do you think that this is such a a taint on that that series that is so connected to this to this death that that could be it that this show couldn't come back under these circumstances. Well, I mean, you know, Japan hates scandals. You know, that's a, a big thing that we have seen throughout history of that was of the like, downfall of, of pride. It was the, the scandal. And that was it. It was there was no coming back because they lost their TV deal from that. And like this is a huge scandal. Like, you know, like there's more and more, you know, news coming out, information coming out about possibly you know the culpability of the Terrace House producers. And that you know includes the writers and the, the, the directors and things like that. So and the way Terrace House is shot in the sense of like you know they encourage uh the people on the show to be a certain way and and like including you know in this case Hannah Kimura being more you know heelish I suppose you know kind of like okay we need more drama on the show let's you're you're a wrestler or you know this situation came up let's just you just take it to a different level and you know obviously you know the way reality tv is shot and edited plays a large part in the drama that's created and from that, like, you know, you got to you got to think a large part of the public is like looking at Terrace House, you know, Fuji TV and, and, and the producers and thinking like you have to bear some responsibility for this. And I don't see like how anyone could watch this show uh, after this, honestly, like I've never watched it, but like I can't imagine ever going back and like watching any of the episodes with Hana like at all on these because like knowing that it, would, it led to her death in, in a large part. But yeah, I think the show is done. Like, you know, they, they suspended the, the production of it in February because of the coronavirus. And then they're, they obviously canceled the rest of the season. I don't know how they come back next year unless they, you know, wait a long time and they just change the name of the show. And but, you know, keep a similar concept to it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, looking at the, like the reality genre and pro wrestling, I mean, that is where there is a lot of, you know, connective tissue in that these performers are it's being presented as versions of themselves, but not these people like completely transparent either. Like this is where I think a lot of fans get caught up in who these people are portraying, even in reality series that that is not the real person, but yet they are treated as though 
that's that's my complete persona that is on a reality show that's on a wrestling show as well and you do see um fans that sometimes go way too far in, in that and it's in this social media age you're exposed to that and i i don't know how you can legislate against that it's certainly something very tricky as we're seeing with trying to legislate the internet but we're looking at a time now where this is you know not going to be just a um a lone issue when it comes to Hanakamura and the outcry afterwards i mean is pretty evident of that of the the abuse and harassment that a lot of performers entertainers athletes uh take on a daily basis and just have brushed it off that it's part of the job and it, it shouldn't be part of the job I, I just don't know how you completely can can legislate and, and change that it's uh, certainly complex i'm glad it's being at least addressed it's not just being putting your arms in the air saying we can't do anything well it, it's kind of a bipartisan issue in japan like the uh, liberal democratic party which is the, the ruling party of japan and and the constitutional democratic democratic party of japan are, are like you know the, the two, two members of those groups are talking with each other and it's like we have to come up with something to like curb this and somehow but like you, like you said john i don't know how you you police the internet like no, I, it, I think it's a very, very, you know, Wild West situation on there, even in 2020. Um, staying on um, the, the government, uh, what is the latest going on right now in Japan? They have lifted their uh, state of emergency in, in most of the prefectures. And it seems that this is now at least opening the doors for more more and more things to be be opening. Um, how does this uh, affect pro wrestling where there, there have been companies that have been running you know, significantly here, but um, from the top down with with New Japan, how do you see this all uh, affecting them? Well, I mean, yeah. So they the government decided to lift the state of emergency emergency and all, but eight of the nation's forty seven prefectures. Um, Prime Minister Abe, you know, talked about adopting a new lifestyle based around what he called the avoidance of three C's: confined and crowded spaces and close human contact to prevent a second wave of infections. You know, I, yesterday they announced twenty two new cases. Of the coronavirus in Tokyo, John. So um, I'm a little worried about opening, you know, things up. Um, uh, as far as you've seen that over like, here too, where it's uh, you know, it, as more and more things are opening up, it's yeah, that's the the concern right now is that you're that's the balancing act of how much do we dip our toe back into the water versus when there's still charts in the water. That's kind of the the analogy I can come up with. I think, you know, like, like Harold May, you know, the president of Japan, he's, he's very much aware of this, like, he's, he's very adamant about, we're not, you know, we're not going to just open up our doors to the fans. And like, I, I think they're not even, you know, like, too keen on just having empty arena shows. Like, I think their, their, their main concern is like, keep our, our talent and our staff safe by not exposing them to, you know, crowds, even of each other, like, just having them do shows with each other. Um, as far as I know, there's no, you know, cases of coronavirus, you know, reported among Japanese wrestlers of the promotions that have been running right now. But who, who's to say, like, what's out there that's not been reported? Uh, so I, I think it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, they're talking about having the G1, and we'll talk about this later with like the announcement of the Champions Carnival for all of Japan. But they're talking about having the G1 in the fall. And Hiromu Takahashi is talking about, oh, why don't we have the best of the Super Juniors running at the same time? And I, and I, to, on the surface, I think that sounds like a great idea. But the part of me that's a wrestling fan 
that likes to go to live shows. Do I want to go to Tokyo? Do I want to sit in a crowd of a, about a thousand people to watch a wrestling show? No, I, I really don't. I, I will not feel comfortable about going to any kind of live event until really there's a, a viable vaccine out there. Yeah, and I, I would be really curious how New Japan World has been affected over the last three months. If they have maintained or even had just a small decrease in subscribers, I mean, I, I would take that as, you know, a good sign that our audience is at least supporting us through that means. But, you know, taking taking that number aside, like doing empty arena shows, what is the point if we're if we're maintaining our subscriber level? We can't sell merchandise to no fans. We can't sell tickets with no fans. What are we even doing this for at, at that point? Other than, you know, it's getting work for our talent, but that's money out and no money coming in. I Well, that's the question I ask about, like, these companies that have, uh, you know, that have been having empty arena shows. It's like, okay, Noah's having these empty arena shows. All Japan's having empty arena shows. Big Japan just came back with an empty arena show. And... Why? I, I don't understand. And the only thing I can I can think is, is to provide content for their own streaming services. All three companies have streaming services. Um, and like and I, I guess it's to like try to, you know, keep current subscribers and maybe entice new subscribers to to come on board. New Japan has been doing a good job with releasing like unreleased uh, footage and having like special like shows you know, like kind of like cooking shows or or like birthday parties or, or things like that on their streaming service. So, you know, and for the hardcore fans, that's great stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like to me, I I, I actually suspended my, my, my subscription and I'm not probably going to, you know, go back to it unless they have started having like new shows. Not that I want them to endanger their talent, but I have to think about, well, do they need the money from me? Not really. They they have a parent company, Bush Road, um, and they seem to be like oh, have a you know great deal of money in the coffers. And I think where they're really doing really well in this in this day and age, John, is like with their merchandise. They they I think have a very healthy merchandise you know uh, platform, and they're and they're doing really well with it. in you know during this pandemic. Yeah, so I mean, New Japan to me is going to be the last one to come back in. You know, it, it may be worldwide uh, at, at this point uh, when you're looking at who's been uh, the most uh, conservative. And uh, yeah, this kind of opens things up of where where are we going to be in a month? Where are we going to be in two months? And and come the fall as well. I think that everyone you're seeing now with all of the sports leagues here in North America, they are racing to get back with the NHL seeming to be at at the front of the line. Uh, the NBA is making their plans. Major League Baseball is a bit of a mess at, at the moment. But, you know, the theory has been thrown out there of trying to get back to play so quickly to get your season in because there's the threat of a second wave in the fall where I don't I, – I can't envision this level of a shutdown occurring again no matter what happens in the fall. But I think that that is at least a worry that – play could get suspended again let's get this season in and do it in as quick a, an amount of time as we can and that's you know certainly going to i i mean pro wrestling who, who knows but this second wave that's a real um concern but we we can't predict the future 
Well, I mean, the big difference with, you know, sports leagues in, you know, in, in Europe and in North America and even pro wrestling in North America versus Japan is that those have, you know, are buoyed by, you know, television deals. I mean, that's I, I understand that's where the pressure comes from to have like even just empty arena, you know, games and, and wrestling shows. But, you know, the, the thing is, is with Japan, it's like they're they're providing all this content, but their their main source of income is the live gate. And that doesn't exist. And. I don't know where you know a lot of this money is going to be coming from, even if they're running these empty arena shows. Obviously, with we'll talk about you know Big Japan Pro Wrestling later on, but they did a huge GoFundMe, you know, kind of uh, deal on on a Japanese crowdfunding site, but and it, it's been really successful. But what happens when that money runs out? That's my big question. And and if things aren't back to a semblance of normalcy, where where people are allowed to come to shows, and then they can't run like full capacity shows even if they wanted to because that's going to be against the law they, they can't have more than a thousand people in when it comes to like phase three of the lifting of the emergency you know shutdown yeah i i don't know i i'm extremely leery about going to any kind of live event before there's a vaccine and maybe i'm on the uh the, the far end of, of people's uh comfort level but to me that's um I don't know. I, I just, to me, I, the weighing the, the risk and the reward of just going to a live event right now with, you know, even a small amount of people, even if it was 500 people, um, that's, I'm not crazy about that at that at all. I, 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 I wonder how many, cause there are going to be people that will absolutely jump at the chance to go to shows. And that's going to be the big question. How many are comfortable going and if it's sustainable for these companies like i i cannot imagine when wwe opens their doors that they're going to be able to draw um five thousand people like i think that would be a pretty ambitious number to hit but uh for for a big pay-per-view event maybe i'm going to be completely wrong and they will they will fill a major arena if they were to do a um a major arena for a pay-per-view in the fall well you know they should just do john it's just like you know uh, show their pay-per-views on uh on, on, on a closed circuit to like, uh, what is it like drive-ins and the, you know, then, then these, uh, cinematic things can be actually truly be cinematic. I saw a mock-up of what some, like, a, a, like a prototype of like what movie theaters could look like with the, like the seating spaced out. Can I just say, I, I love the idea of having to, uh, of going to a movie theater and I know I don't have to sit next to a stranger for the, for the entire two and a half hour movie. I think that's a, that's great. You know, John, I got to say, like, I love going to, you know, going to movies in Japan because people are, are polite and are quiet and they don't really make noise in the movie theaters here, which I love. The other thing is if, you know, we have now have like seatings where there's like plexiglass and kind of a cone of silence surrounding us to protect us from, oh, really? you know, I don't like that. It, that's kind of might be my idea, like what the WWE has been doing with their shows recently using the plexiglass. I would be all for that. If I just had my own personal surround sound system and I don't have to like worry about the person using a, a smartphone next to me and distracting me with the light from that or or having to hear their, stu their stupidity of like, you know, like responding to things on on the uh, on screen. I would actually kind of like that, to be honest with you. If you want to if you want to see uh, amateur night for aspiring uh, stand up comedians, go go to a matinee uh, movie. And you, you'll hear all of them throughout throughout the show. Everyone's got uh, their punchline, and boy, uh, it makes you want to punch them. 
Let us move on to uh, 2AW. You've been watching uh, a lot of this company. Uh, why don't you just chat uh, a bit about what they've been doing and some of the uh, the tag matches that uh, you've been raving about? Yeah, so 2AW, Active Advanced Wrestling. Uh, it's the former K-Dojo promotion. Um, I've been watching a lot of their shows since pretty much the March 25th show up till now, uh, primarily because like I'm really into this tag team uh, of Chango and Kaish Tomato, and and for those of you who don't know who, okay, so Chango, imagine, like, if you take Mikami from uh, Classic DDT, you just look him up, you take, kind of like take Jeff Hardy, like, uh, Extreme Extreme version of Jeff Hardy, take KZ from Dragon Gate, take uh, Kakihara, this character from this Japanese movie called uh, Ichi the Killer, look him up. All right, you mix these guys in, you put them in the, the Brundle teleporter from David Cronenberg's The Fly, and it all goes wrong. You get Chango, John. That's what you get with uh, this guy's look. It's, it's, it's something else. It's, 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 I like it, though. It, it fits this guy's character. And then Kaiji Tomato. Like, a lot of people might think, Dimage, would you be into a tomato-themed cheerleader wrestler? And you would think I would say no, but I, I'm totally into Kaiji Tomato. This guy's fucking awesome john like i love the gimmick and he's a great wrestler that's the thing both these guys are really really good wrestlers they won the tag team titles the two aw tag team titles from uh ayoto yoshida and tank nagai on the march 25th show they've been having like pretty much title defenses every show that two has been putting out and they're all good john they're like a lot of other podcasters have been talking about like this this is one of the top three tag teams in the world right now because that's how good they are. And it's not because it's of the coronavirus or because of entry arena shows. They're just having really excellent m- matches. And I urge people to go check those out. Um, the April 28th show they is probably my favorite tag team title defense. They take on the young guys team of Kotaro, Yoshino, and Tatsuya Hanami. Tatsuya Hanami, I'm really high on this guy. He's like, he has your typical young lion look, black trunks, one knee pad, you know, short boots. But this guy's awesome. He's such a great like character. He's got so much fire in him, and I, I have I'm really looking forward to seeing this guy develop. But they they had an awesome tag team title defense against these guys. I really, if you're gonna check out any match, check out that match. Uh, they had a May 10th defense against Kengo Mashimo and Kino Toshima. That was good as well. And then they just you know on the May 23rd show that just I just watched this past week, they had a, a defense against their stablemates, uh, Dinosaur Takuma. And Kumogami and John, I don't know if you've seen this match. I don't know if you've ever seen what t- Dinosaur Takuma looks like. This man wears a singlet with a plastic uh, or, or ru- a rubber dinosaur tail, and he's got a pink mohawk. It's, 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 it's a look, you know. And Kumogami has, like, the most amazing 2020 mullet you'll ever see on a human being. But he looks like the kind of a guy that you would see outside of a maybe a, a truck stop selling, like, some uh, pharmaceuticals that might not be legal. That's what he looks like. And and they're they're kind of a comedy duo these guys, but my God, they had an excellent defense because the thing is, John, they take these tag team title defenses seriously. They treat these as serious wrestling matches, even though all four of these guys have kind of comedy background to them. They are having like these straightforward, excellent tag team matches, and and I cannot stress how much I love watching these things. I I actively look forward to watching Chango. And Kaiji Tomato defend these tag team titles. I'm gonna have to check out. Uh, I know you you've passed along a lot of these tag matches that I, I certainly will catch up on. You've definitely sold me on on several of these uh, I- these individuals as well. But that's uh, 
certainly some stuff under the radar to to go uh, check out. Yeah, and also on, also on the uh, May 23rd show, there's a great 2AW Openweight uh, Championship defense between the champion Yuji Okabashi from Big Japan, and he's taking on uh, 2AW guy, Techna guy. If you like big, beefy guys beating the shit out of each other, John, this is the match for you. Uh, moving on to All Japan, you had mentioned off the top that they are tentatively planning to run the Champions Carnival Tournament in the fall, in September. And it sounds like it would be just uh, Japanese-based wrestlers, that they wouldn't be flying in any foreigners for this. And um, does this sound ambitious to be shooting for S- September for this tournament? Or do you think that, you know, ultimately, I mean, All Japan have been running shows. I guess it's more so, going back to our question, from a strategic standpoint, is it smart to be doing this in an empty arena setting if you can't open this up to fans? Um, I think... Their strategy is that, you know, like they're going to be able to have some amount of fans at their shows for the Champions Carnival in September. That's, you know, that's kind of like the, the the optimism that exists in Japan about things opening up. Like, and in Empty Arena, I, you know, again, like, you know, they've been running pretty much a weekly television show, you know, mm-hmm. on the, the AJPW.TV streaming service since April, the end of April. And, you know, like if for nothing else, they'll, they'll do the Champions Carnival just to try to, I think, try to get new subscribers to to kind of, you know, sign up for this thing and 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 to keep existing subscribers. Because if if they're not running like events, must see events, then I don't know that they think that we can keep our existing fan base. Like, you know, I, I, all this is kind of like out of desperation. Like, I think most companies in Japan are running out of desperation, John. So. I do think it's ambitious, but I don't think that they think they have a choice in not doing the Champions Carnival in September. I, I think you're right, um, and, and yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, with the uh, with, with the the changes, obviously, like this would in theory be open to fans. I guess the question is, yeah, to your point, like the confidence level of going. But you know, that's where a lot of these companies are in. Like, this is not. Um, we're not talking about too many companies out there that have the luxury of just sitting back and, and waiting this thing out. And I think at this point, um, you're, you're seeing, I, I think the idea of just running shows, people are not as negative towards that idea as they were, you know, six to eight weeks ago. Uh, but now uh, for an All Japan, which let's be honest, it's pretty much a fringe company at this point with a streaming service that's not going to be people's priority at this time. If you're a wrestling fan and you're scaling back on your on what you're spending money on streaming services, all Japan would probably be one that you're, you're looking for a reason to drop it and having continued shows. I mean, that, that must be their strategy. Well, I mean, they've been really creative in how they're using their, their streaming service. John, they have these, like these one match, you know, quote unquote shows under this banner that they call fight club, uh, which usually features like a younger, less experienced wrestler, fighting another one sometimes they bring in younger wrestlers from other companies like 2aw or big japan pro wrestling or the now defunct wrestle one and i think it's a great idea to get you know get the the the, these existing like you know guys under under all japan contract like experience and they're getting to fight like older guys on the roster but they're also getting to fight these guys from other promotions which i think is great for you know get, getting them more well rounded in their talents and things like that and and usually John these are things like that are less than ten minutes it's a it's a one match show mm-hmm. you can watch it under ten minutes I'm like that's great I can I can devote yeah I can spend 
10 minutes, less than 10 minutes watching on one match of like a, a, an inexperienced guy getting more experience and, and having some interesting matchups. And I like a lot of the young guys in, in all Japan. So like, it's, it's a great thing for me to want to watch. And the other thing that I think has really been helping all Japan is the, the acquisition of Shotaro Shino from, from Russell one. And he's been a great, he's been a great addition. I think he's been, you know, the, the shows I've been watching, I mean, the, the Russell one contingent, like that has been to me, uh, Three of the standouts on these shows. Yeah, so along with Ashina, we have uh, uh, Yusuke Kodama, who's a junior heavyweight, and uh, the big beefy guy, Kuma Arashi. Do you know what Kuma Arashi translates into, Jeff, into English, John? Oh, please enlighten us. So Kuma means bear, and Arashi means storm. So this man's name is literally in English, bear storm. Wow, I'm just imagining that visual. I think he has some lightning bolts on his gear, and he has, like, fur from a bear. I think it's fake. Don't worry, people. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's something else. But they're, they're, they're part of, an, uh, of a faction that existed in Russell 1 called the Enfant Terrible. And, yeah, they've been great. Like, definitely all Japan is using the Russell 1 talent that they've acquired a lot better, in my opinion, than than what Noah's been doing with the, you know, the talents they've acquired from Russell One. So, I, yeah, I, I'm excited because they're, they're already mixing them up, John. Like, like Ashino and company have already had matches against Jake Lee, Kenta Miyahara. I think they just did a tag match with Zeus and Izanagi. Uh, so, like, they're throwing Shitara Ashino, like, right in the mix with all the big players. And you got to think if they do the Champions Carnival, he's slotted to be, you know, uh, pointing very, very high, if not winning the whole thing. Um, anything else on the on the all Japan front? Before no, we move no, on? that's 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 fine. Uh, DDT, uh, they've been running quite a lot of shows as well. So I mean, the the cyber agent uh, strategy has been just to uh to move forward. But uh, tell us what the latest is in uh DDP land, DDT land, or DDP, whichever. Well, I, I like I'm not going to talk about yoga on this show, John. But uh, yeah, you know what's interesting about DDT, along with all Japan, is like these companies have started following kind of more of an American model of providing a weekly TV show for the continent. I think primarily because they can't go on tour, they're not allowed to travel really outside of the prefecture of Tokyo um, or, or the Kanto region. So they, you know, they stay within that area. So like, okay, we can't get people to go to our shows. We should, but we have to provide content to again, draw people to our streaming service. So they've been running basically a weekly TV show. I, I don't watch a lot of it. Like, honestly, DDT is not for me. It's, if you like, you know, the, you know, the cinematic stuff, you'll love DDT. Like, if, if you want to see a Japanese version, basically, these are the people who created this shit, John. Like, I'm not they, a fan They of are the authors of the template of what pretty much all the major companies now are leaning on. DDT was the first, you know, promotion, I think, to run like uh, a, a wrestling match quote unquote through a corporate building so they did that's where wb stole that idea they essentially stole that idea but i will say one thing i am excited about in, in ddt is masato tanaka being the kod champion this is the same masato tanaka that was wrestling in ecw with this Mike is Austin. insane it's just insane that was this, that was over 20 years ago and if you look at masato tanaka now you would not think that he's close to being in his 50s this man is is like in amazing shape, and he's wrestling at a high level. But he's the uh, he's the main champion in DDT, and he's been having some really great title defenses. I'd recommend the May ninth match against uh, Yukio Sakaguchi, who is the son of uh, New Japan legend Seiji Sakaguchi, and he had a recent match with uh, not a long one, but a match with uh, former MMA fighter Shinya Aoki. 
And yeah, Masato Tanaka is definitely, if you like serious wrestling, those are the things to check out. If you like the goofy stuff, then check out everything else out on, on DDT. It, it, it's totally for you. Like, definitely, this is this is if 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 Way had the time, I bet he would be like, WH, I want to record a ten minute segment just talking about DDT for post press every month. And I'd be like, okay, you do that because I'm not going to. It's uh, we, we get both uh, between you and and Way. They're great filters for for DDT. It's like you can choose your own adventure of how you want to consume DDT. Exactly, exactly. But definitely, you know, like they're a company. Definitely. We're doing a lot of interesting content uh, during, you know, the pandemic era. So definitely check them out. Uh, now, Dragon Gate, they have uh, launched their King of Gate tournament. So they're in the midst of that. It's a 24-man single elimination tournament. Is this being done? Is this just the uh, Japanese commentary for this? They're not doing any English at the moment, are they? I don't think they are. I didn't hear anything about uh, Jay or Larry Dallas uh being on these shows i didn't i don't listen to english commentary anyway so it's not something i would been uh aware of anyways but as far as i know larry dallas has left japan i think i he's believe back, so I, I think he's back in the united states so and, and jay lives here but i don't know if they just want him doing commentary by himself because he's he's like relatively new to doing commentary so um but does, I, I don't know john i'm not one to say to people like if you you know uh, you don't need uh, you know, you need English commentary to understand this. I don't think you do. I think you, wrestling is universal enough that if you can get past, you know, like, you know, not having English commentary, you can fully enjoy this. And most people should be able to get past not having English commentary on most Japanese wrestling because that's how it was for like 40 fucking years before, you know, the you know New Japan kind of went full tilt into it. I'm I'm with you. I think for some that are not familiar with a product, it's a it's an easy gateway when you have that option for show number one where you kind of get your mix. And I think once you kind of get the general understanding, I think it's, uh, I'm with you. The other thing is about Dragon Gate, John, and I think you can back me up on this. Dragon Gate is the template of indie wrestling and, and wrestling on a mainstream level in, in the last five years. They, they created the template of the sprint. Basically, if you are a big PWG fan and you like the sprint matches, they lifted that from Dragon Gate. Like indie wrestling sprint matches, like high spots, high spots, high spots. And the ones that are really good with like high spots and psychology, that came from Dragon Gate. So like if you like that style of wrestling, you can watch Dragon Gate. Like it'll it'll it easily translates to a Western audience. I've always maintained that it is the most accessible type of wrestling, even though it's kind of lucha based. It is the most accessible type of wrestling to a Western fan and has been since its inception back even to when they were Toyamon. You know what I've been watching a bit of because um, Ring of Honor's YouTube has actually been putting up a lot of like great stuff from like the golden era. And they put up the the blood generation, a do fixer, a six man from WrestleMania weekend in 2006, which uh, myself, Way and Benno all attended. We didn't know each other, but we were both there. And that match totally holds up 14 years later. You know, the thing about that match is, John, it's like, it's a great match. I love that match. But my God, they've had so many much better matches in in Dragon Gate. And, you know, Dragon Gate's been really good about actually putting up a lot of their earlier content uh, that, you know, their TV shows from Gaara. So it's definitely a great time if if you want to, you know, get into Dragon Gate. They have a streaming service that's really doing a really good job of putting up their archive stuff more. Um, I'm not a big fan of the the service because they, you know, for their new content, they 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 put it up. It's on for about a, a week, then they take it down, and then 
you don't know when they're gonna put it back up because of their TV deal with Gaara. I think no. this is like they can't they don't keep things up there for for forever. They take it down and then they put it up down the line. I think after the initial broadcast on Gaara. So it's not really great in that sense, but if they're putting more and more like classic Toriyaman and like early 2000s Dragon Gate up there, I, I I urge people to like watch that stuff. That's that's some amazing influential stuff that like still holds up to this day, John. Uh, now, last month uh, when we were on, we talked about uh, the status of Big Japan and they were going to a, a crowdfunding campaign and what were what are the results of that campaign so far, and how would you assess uh, the health of Big Japan one month later since we spoke about their uh, issues? Well, they 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 raised their goal and they exceeded it. They're at ten point six million yen right now. Like I checked today, and this can, campaign continues until June twelfth. Um, yeah, I mean, I in that sense, they're doing really well. They just came back with uh, you know May twenty fourth. A TV show on Samurai TV called Crisis Survivor Volume One, John, and this this shows something else. It, it's taking place in their dojo. Their dojo looks like a torture dungeon. Like if you look at this place, it's like grimy as fuck, John. And and I thought, oh my god, this is like they should shoot all their like small TV shows from their dojo because it's perfect for the aesthetic of of a deathmatch company. And and on that topic, John. Here's the thing that really pisses me off about Big Japan Pro Wrestling. So they went to their fans and said, hey, help us raise money to keep us in business. And and then, you know, they come back with this TV show. And I see guys, like, and at least three of the matches are death matches, John. And people are bleeding all over each other. And and I'm like, really? Do you need this? And then the main event, the main event is, is called this. Get this, John. It's the Human Flesh Slicer Barricade and Fluorescent Light Tubes Alpha death tag match not a there's beta light, not a beta it's the alpha so there's light tubes all over the ring they're being used and i'm like did you spend any of this fucking money any of this 10.6 million yen on these fucking light tubes i hope not i hope they're like surplus because that money should be going to paying your staff your wrestlers and and like your creditors for as long as you can not on fucking light tubes and i don't care if any death match people go with what do you want them to do? A no light tube match on, on a Big Japan show? Yes! That's what, exactly what I want them to fucking do. Like, because they don't need to fucking do this during a fucking pandemic where they can't draw any fucking money. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really not going to tell people to go to BW, BJW Core and, and subscribe to them because, like, listen, they're in this bed. They made it. They can lie in it. Like, I don't want to see them go out of business, but I'm not, I'm not going to tell people to go support them if they're doing shit like this either. So you're saying they could have just gotten away with a human flesh slicer match instead of adding the fluorescent light tubes alpha death tag to this match? Well, you know, if they if they took out the light tubes and the barbed wire and all that other shit, John, like I'd be I'd be okay with it because the idea that they're reusing barbed wire is also disturbing to me as well. So yeah, like they don't need to run fucking death matches like hardcore brawls. Okay, I'll accept that to an ex- extent where. Where, but were they using like plunder? No, I, I, I'm not for that. Like even in the best of times, I'm not a huge fan of that stuff. During a pandemic, when you're asking fans to give you money for nothing, for nothing, like seriously, it, you're not getting a ticket, you're not getting merchandise for this money, you're, you're because you love the company. But I guess you know that's 
that's their reward is like guys hitting each other with rust and light twos. Okay, it's not for me, but if people want to do that, that's fine. If you said to me, WH, are you going to support them? I'm like, no. Why? So they can spend money on bullshit? Fuck no, I'm not going to do that. I keep telling WH uh, between shows. I mean, let, let your opinions come out. I mean, don't don't waver on, on, on the fence. I mean, it's it's always tough to hear what, what side uh, WH is coming down on, on a company. Our final subject, and this will take us, uh, we'll, we'll talk present and past pro wrestling Noah. First of all, let's talk about what's going on right now with them. They are uh, running shows on DDT Universe. And uh, let's talk first about just uh, the, the latest news involving Noah. Well, it's not DDT Universe anymore, John. It's now called Wrestle Universe because oh, yes. of the the acquisition of of Pro Wrestling Noah and integrating it into their their schedule on this on their streaming service. That you know DDT said, well, we have you know DDT, we have Tokyo Joshi Pro Res, we have like some of the smaller brands that they they run, and now we have Noah. So they said, well, we're going to call it Wrestle Universe, which you know it, it's it's a pretty good site, like. If, if you like a wide variety in your wrestling, uh, you know, like they've got everything for everyone basically on, on this network, John, but yeah, Noah has been running pretty much themselves an almost weekly schedule. Again, like same thing as DDT and all Japan. And like, again, like it has to be for, to just to provide content because they're not making any money off of this, you know, off of these shows in terms of a live gate or merchandise or anything like that. But um, yeah, I, I got to say, this is probably, these are probably my least favorite MP Arena matches. I don't like the atmosphere. Like they are, you know, they're a company that does not use um, like uh, roster members or staff to fill out the crowd like All Japan does. And, and it really suffers for it. And the way they shoot the show, like the camera angles and stuff like that, I'm not a, a big fan. And, and it's weird, John, like, you know, all the photographers from the, the you know, the, the newspapers and, and all the production staff, the camera people and stuff like that, they're wearing these like protective, you know, biohazard suits essentially. And like the referee, the ring announcer, the the people around the ring, the young boys around the ring and, and the wrestlers in the ring, aren't wearing shit like they're they're just like you know out there like it's there's no pandemic out there and it's really weird and quite honestly disturbing to see that visual for me but you know like you know the news coming out of this you know if we want to you know kind of pivot to more positive thing is that on a recent show you know kaito kiyomiya the former ghc heavyweight champion he made an open challenge to kazuchika okada and in my opinion i think this is either to get publicity uh, it's just a publicity stunt or, you know, Cyber Agent and Bushiroad have agreed to do some kind of joint show, maybe with some of the other promotions as well, down the road to like raise money for, you know, the, the wrestling industry as a whole. I, I can definitely see that being a thing that you could see a lot of cooperation uh, later this year and into next where there are going to be some struggling companies. And I, I really could see that being the tact of New Japan to be much more open with um helping out and working with, with other companies. I, I definitely don't dismiss that at all. And if they do this match between, you know, Kiyomiya and Okada, John, I, I don't think it's going to be a singles. I'd be very, very surprised. Probably a tag. Match. It's probably going to be a tag match, like not a six man or an eight man, probably a straight. Y- Yoshihashi is uh, getting his way in there. <laughs> He's going to be the hottest worker in that, in that, in that match. He'll be like, I got a chance to prove myself against, you know, the Noah guys. Cause they made us look stupid during that G1 that one year. And then they never came back. Um, but, you know, speaking of tournaments, John, 
So Pro Wrestling Noah has has uh, you know kind of announced that they're going to run the N1 Victory Tournament. So this name, this branding has is coming back. Uh, Cyber Agent has not decided to change it. It's coming back. It's also scheduled for September, uh, from uh, tentatively from the 18th to the 26th, and maybe a, you know a couple more dates uh, scheduled in October. So think about this, John. In the month in the months of September and October, it's very possible that we could see the N1 Victory Tournament. The Champions Carnival, the G1, the Best of the Super Junior, oh and, and even Zero One's Fire Festival tournaments all running around the same time in the greater Tokyo, Yokohama, Chiba area. And that's insane to me. Like, I don't know how you're going to schedule, like, the venues for these things because, like, I still got to think, even in September, October, the, the, the places that are available to you are going to be very, very slim. And so many of these buildings, like it's like you're booking them like months, if not a year out, correct? Like, I, yeah. I don't even know how all these venues are going to, I mean, granted, we're in different times where everything's been thrown out the window, but um, that sounds insane when you lay it out there. Like, there will be at least one example of some casual fan buying a ticket to go to a G1 realizing, hey, wait, I'm at the N1. What's the N1? I want to go to the G1. I, I'm gonna tell people like if you're if you're looking to go to the G1 and you go to the N1 instead, you you might be a little disappointed because you know I like Noah, I really do. I think they got a good roster, but it, the, the talent level is is not the same as in New Japan. That's just my opinion. What what is your okay of those tournaments? What do you think is realistic? What do you think comes come September? Uh, do you expect to see? Do you expect all of those tournaments? to happen in some form or fashion this fall? The carnival, I think, will happen because I think they'll just run it regardless of what kind of venue they're able to get. I do um, too. The N1, because they have their own studio, so they can mm-hmm. just run all the shows in their, their Kawasaki TV studio. Uh, that's personally no, of course. Um, the Zero One, yeah, I can see them doing it because, like, you know, Zero One, they, they, they're not, they don't have any fans at their shows anyway, so it's not... This this time of the you know this this pandemic is not really affecting the atmosphere that much of their shows. So uh, WH with a dagger. Uh, I'm just being honest, John. Like <laughs> Jesus, uh, the G1 and Best of Super Juniors. Those I think are the ones that are up in the air. I think that it's not number one. I think that the G1, if they can't be first of all, I would say the G1 would have to be like. You'd have to remap it. I don't think the idea of going all over the place is a great idea. I think you almost need one central place. And then you start wondering, well, running however many shows in one to three locations, does that make a whole lot of sense for us? Like, this is a touring uh, tournament that we draw because we're going to different places. We're not going to get people coming to 18 shows over the course of six weeks. So then it becomes... is. Is this something that we absolutely need right now? And if we do, we have to go in it with measured expectations that this is not going to be the lucrative G1 that it would have been a year ago and it might be a year from now. And on top of that, you couple that with the best of the Super Juniors. I don't, like you, I don't dismiss that idea out of hand that in future years, having, whether it be the off day or incorporating the undercard, that you make these like super shows. But I think that's a tournament that can draw on its own. Do you want to... Are you drawing double because you put them together? I don't think that's the case either. So to me, the New Japan tournaments, I think they have some big decisions to make in the next few next few weeks, I would say, regarding the G1. And 
it's not that far away that I think we have to start to question, is it really that wise an idea to run the Tokyo Dome in January? Oh, I don't think they're running the Tokyo Dome. Like they, I don't think they're opening the borders in January of 2021, John. Like, and they would be foolish to, especially to what America. I, I wouldn't open. Like, I hope Canada like never opens the borders to America. Like, while like you know, like certain people are in the fucking administration over there because th- this coronavirus is never going to go away in America. And, and it's rate. not like a case where it's getting like that's a big thing with like the whole NHL proposal. It's that. It's not just considered like you're going to get a rubber stamp for athletes to cross the border. It sounds like it's going to be more of a complex issue with, with that border. Like they are pretty serious about closing these borders uh, for now, which I think was recently extended to like the third week of June, I think is the new date. Well, I mean, the the thing about like closing the borders in Japan, John, is like, you know, in the last, I don't know, let, let's say three to four years, a lot of their Wrestle Kingdom business is people coming from outside of Japan to, to come to the Tokyo Dome. I mean, you know, you were, you know, this past year, you saw for yourself, like how many people, you know, came to, to, to Tokyo to like, you know, to, to watch Wrestle Kingdom. It, it, it's basically, you know, a WrestleMania level event where people like fly in, like it, it's dependent on fly-ins. I don't think that's happening. And at the same time, like, do I want to be in, in a building with more than a thousand people, even if we're spaced out by like, you know, 10 seats each. No, I, I don't want to be in the Tokyo Dome with like anything with anything more than 10 people, to be honest with you. Like, I don't feel comfortable. Like, like I said, no vaccine, no WH at these fucking shows. And as far as the makeup of the G1, like if they run it, like I don't see how they're going to have like a what 24 fucking people in it. It's got to be like, I don't know, like a 12 person tournament, you know, like with six people in each block or something like that. And it, I don't know if you even do a round robin. You might just do a single elimination like like the, the King of Gate tournament. Same thing with the Best of Super Juniors. It has to be a smaller, you know, field and, and you reduce the schedule to like, you know, maybe like a, a two week tournament. Yeah, it's it's really tough. It's like you're you're throwing darts in the in the dark and it's you just don't know what the landscape is going to be like in the fall. We might be in in a way better place and that places are opening up. We're not seeing the surge in cases or it could be the opposite. It could be somewhere in the middle. Like it's just – it's total guesswork. I think that's the frustrating part for so many people that you can apply as much logic as you want. You can put these preventive measures in place to a certain degree. There's always going to be that risk and you just – it's just every th- – think of where we were two weeks ago. And God knows where we will be two weeks from now. And you're trying to forecast six months from now, ten months from now. It's it's impossible. It, it's wishful thinking, I think, on on New Japan's part. And I know they're the company, the one company that I think everyone has been missing because they're the ones who pretty much gone to hibernation during you know this pandemic. And, and I know a lot of people are are just want something from them, even if it's an empty arena show. I. I don't know when I think that's likely to happen in a arena show, whether you're going to get like their marquee events or big things happening on these empty arena shows. I don't know. Like it's, it's again, I, I feel a lot of these times where people like run these like, you know, big angles and things like that and have these, you know, big matches. Like the, the good thing about American promotions, like, you know, AW, for example, is that they can make money from pay-per-view. Like I, I think double or nothing did well as far as pay-per-view vice. That's a speculation. That's something that you can monetize. We don't have that model in Japan for anything. So I don't 
know if you're not having fans, like how are you making money outside of trying to keep subscribers to your streaming services? And that's kind of the, the thing that's kind of like saving a lot of these companies is like they have, you know, to some degree, some kind of TV deals with like Samurai or Gaara or whatever. And they have their their, their streaming services, which they are able to, you know, some of these companies are able to monetize, you know, existing subscribers. And I don't know if they're getting new ones, but we'll, you know, that's, that'd be an interesting, you know, you know, discussion to have. If like, are they getting new subscribers? Okay. Let's, uh, let's go back. Let's turn back the clock now to the spring of 2000, because it was June of 2000 that one Mitsuharu Masawa held a press conference and announced the formation of Pro Wrestling Noah. So let's start from there, WH, of what leads up to that press conference. And I think you have to go back to January of 1999, a year and a half prior. Giant Baba dies. And where is All Japan post-Giant uh, Baba? So, like you said, John, January 31st, 1999, uh, Giant Baba, the, the founder, the owner, the main booker of Pro Wrestling Noah, dies of cancer. Um, from there, May 7th, 1999, Mitsuhara Misawa, the, the ace of the company, is announced as the president of the promotion, while Baba's widow, Motoko Baba, is the majority shareholder of the company, along with, uh, I believe, NTV. She's like 85%, and the TV company is 15% of uh, ownership of, of All Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, there's professional tensions between these two. Uh, you know, and they've existed for a long time. This is not a recent thing that you know that that flared up in 1999, John. They 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 have not liked each other for a long time. She had never approved the decision to make Masao the ace for whatever reason. Um, you know, like they basically the decision to elevate the four pillars of heaven. Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, and Tawe was made in the wake of uh, Jinichiro Tenru's departure from All Japan in 1990 to form uh, Super World Sports and then later uh, Russell Association R. Um, but she never, I guess she, she's, I think she's a higher on someone like Kawada or Kobashi. So she didn't really approve of Misawa. So like, and, and she was not someone who, you know, made, made her feelings uh, a secret, so to speak. Uh, in the year before Baba's death, Misawa, uh, asked him on behalf of the locker room to have Motoko Baba leave the company because she was creating so much tension in in in, in the company, like at the shows and, and what have you. And he complied to to an extent uh, because they had kind of different ways of looking at you know what to do with all Japan. He wanted to modernize the promotion. He wanted to work with other promotions, uh, kind of you know break the isolationist policy that Baba had instilled for for most of the history of all Japan. He wanted to push the junior division more and kind of elevate some of the younger wrestlers a, a little bit faster than you would you would have normally under the all Japan system. Um, and this was because the box office was declining because like it was getting kind of stale with like you had these these four amazing wrestlers and, and like a lot of supporting guys underneath them. But, you know, it, it, after 19, I don't know, 1997, it starts to become stale. Like you have the four same guys on top of the whole company. And, you know, like Masao wanted to change that a bit, but, you know, Mrs. Baba didn't agree with those things. Uh, he also wanted to modernize the contracts of all Japan. He wanted to provide wrestlers with full medical coverage, full injury pay, and possibly stock options, which is something that New Japan's contracts provided even in the, the 1990s, John. So, like, he's thinking, well, I got to be competitive with New Japan. Like, I got to keep my guys happy. You know, like, a lot of these guys are staying because of the loyalty to Baba. But, you know, you see departures. Like, Tenru is the most notable 
you know, example of that. And and then he's so Masao's thinking, okay, I gotta I gotta do something to make my guys happy staying with all Japan with with Baba not being around. Um, this, this leads us to May twenty eighth. Masao is removed from the board directors of all Japan by a majority vote of the other board members. He subsequently resigns as president of the company. This takes us to June 16, 1999. Masao holds a press conference, a press conference with most of the native All Japan roster who had, by the way, been all working as free, freelancers since March 31st, 2000, since they didn't re-sign their All Japan contracts to announce their departure. Th- think about Japan. that, okay? With some of the names attached here that they were all working as freelancers. And and they, they joined to announce their departure from All Japan to form a new promotion in August of 2000. This goes to June 17th. The name of the new new promotion, Processing Noah, is announced. Uh, June 20th, Nasawa meets with Nippon TV, TV TV officials, who canceled All Japan's TV deal and gave it to to Noah. This is a TV show that had been on Nippon TV since the 1970s. John, because... 28 years they were on the network, and All Japan was was done with them. And that was, you know, that was, you know, that had always been kind of the story that Masawa had gone to NTV. And they wanted him to wait a year because they didn't want it to be perceived as Baba dies and they're immediately abandoning ship that they had to wait out this this period and then they would have the support of NTV. But it was, you know, this something that was in the in the works, it sounded like for, for quite some time. Yeah, I, I, I think there's probably a lot of secret meetings that were happening between Asawa and, and some maybe some of the other guys. You got to think that. He had to guarantee, like, I, I'm going to be bringing, you know, Kobashi with me. I'm going to be bringing, like, you know, some other people. But, like, it's him and Kobashi are the big draws, obviously. Um, Tawei, not so much, even though, like, he's one of the four pillars. It's, it's, you, you, you know, had I, a young, young Kenta and Marafuji in, in that, that whole mix as well. I mean, it's, you know, quite the, you know, this was a gigantic upheaval. Like, this was taking, not just like the the th- think of like the equivalent earlier that year of the radicals leaving WCW and what a dent that left in WCW like this is that times a hundred. Well, think about this, John. It's it's easier to say who didn't go. Kawada, yeah, exactly. Uh, Masanobu Fuchi, Stan Hansen, and uh, Manuika Mossman, who later rebranded himself as Taiokea. These are the four wrestlers who did not go. Everyone else left. This is. This is more of an indictment, I think, of Motoko Baba than is like, uh, you know, like yeah, what, you know, Misawa meant. Uh, I think because I think if a lot of them didn't have to deal with Mrs. Baba, they would probably have some of them would probably have stayed like, you know, later on, it's revealed that Misawa, you know, Noah can't pay like a lot of these guys or, or, or make a profit because they're paying so many people in the roster because Misawa didn't think that many people would would jump ship with him. He thought probably Kobashi Tawe and maybe some of the, the more promising youngsters on the card would jump with him and then he'd fill it out with freelancers. And then he's like, yeah, Takeyama's coming. Omori's coming. Akiyama's coming. Oh, okay. And then, oh yeah, you know, Daisuke Ikeda from Battle Arts. He's going to join us too. Oh shit. And I'm sure he didn't want like some, certain people, but they, you know, he couldn't say no to them. So he had to take them as well. So it, you know, it's Russia, Russia like, Kimura, <laughs> gotta make Russia room. Kimura. Uh, I, I think like you know someone like Jun Izumita who would later write the book that would pretty much destroy, you know, the the early version of Noah. Like he's someone that would have uh, not not been brought aboard. Masao Inoue, I'm sure he didn't want him. 
but he took him because he said, hey, I want to go too. Okay, you can come as well. But, you know, this leads to, you know, August 5th and 6th at Differ Ariake. Uh, Pro Wrestling De- Noah debuts with two cards. And these are the two cards collectively called Departure. And uh, I got to make a point that Differ Ariake, John, is was their kind of dojo, their home office, and like their kind of uh, their home arena, so to speak. So that if they ran like smaller shows, they would do it from different Ariaki because they pretty much owned the building. They, you know, like it was their building and it was very close to Ariaki Coliseum, which is where they would have some of their bigger shows before they started, were start, able to start running Budokan Hall again. And where would this be um, in, in compare, like lo- location wise, uh, say from, uh, you know, Cork and Hall area or so? How how far away would, would this be? Okay, so I'm going to say it's been a while since I've been there. Um, I've been there twice, once for a Noah show and once for uh, the Super J Cup that I absolutely hated because Taichi was in it and he ruined the whole fucking thing. But if you go from Sudabashi, which is where the Tokyo Dome is, and you go to Ariake area, I forget the name of the exact station where you have to go, but it's about mm, 20 to 30 minutes by train, as I recall. And then it's a, it's a kind of a trek from the train station to to Ariake Coliseum and different Ariake. It's, and there's really nothing in that area, John. It's It's kind of like a dead area, like, you know, where Sudabashi's got, like, all these restaurants and shops and things like that, and, and a roller coaster that you didn't get a chance to go on. I'm oh, sorry. I was so upset. I, w- I walked all the way there, and my sole goal was to go on that damn roller coaster, and it was closed down for maintenance that day. I was I was very disappointed. Well, you would have been more disappointed in, in the, you know, the area of different Ariake and Ariake Because <laughs> Ariake- there ain't jack shit around there, except maybe a size area. So Brayden would have been happy, but I don't know if you would have been. But... I will say this about, you know, I've never saw a show at different RIK, unfortunately. I did see two shows at RIK Coliseum. And, and the thing about RIK Coliseum that I got to promote, John, is their air conditioner. It's amazing. Well, that, that alone. I mean, the, the, the aesthetics alone make this um, a, a, a must for any startup promotion. Have your air conditioning in place. Beyond a TV deal, beyond workers, beyond a uh, board of directors, Make sure your air conditioning system is ready because it was a hot two nights on August 5th and 6th of 2000 where this was very much a statement from the company that, yes, Masawa and Kobashi are the legends coming over, but this is this is Junakiyama's company was kind of the message you got coming out of those two nights. Yeah, so in the first show's main event, Masawa and Tawai lost to Kobashi and Akiyama in a two out of three falls tag match. And on the second night, uh, Masawa and Ogawa took on like a younger team, Ishiga and Daisuke Akita. I think that's also the second show. Is, is that the one where you know Kobashi and Akiyama have their their singles match, right? Yeah, that that's that's the one where he uh, does the he uses the guillotine and submits uh, Kobashi the, the with the the king crab lock. Yeah. So and like you were talking before, like there's Noah's not on NTV right away because Matoka Baba threatening to sue NTV because of like the which she felt was a breach of contract with with all japan so noah didn't get onto television until april of 2001 so all, it takes nearly a year for them to actually make it onto television so they're primarily depending on their their live gate and fans coming to their shows which you know was successful because like they, they were drawing pretty good crowds uh the the question of whether they were actually making a profit is is a completely different matter though john but i don't want to really i, I doubt it enough uh, it's i guess the big question is like the uh injection of cash from ntv but you would 
that, like just the startup costs alone, you would imagine it would be pretty significant. Well, I don't think they start to turn a profit until really their December 23rd Great Voyage Show at RK Coliseum. That's when like, okay, this company is start now starting to actually make money for us so we can you know, go forward with a lot of our plans. Um, uh, most of 2001. You know, like Ken Kobashi is really the, the supposed to be the star of the show. Masawa's wanting to phase himself out a bit more because of his injuries and things like that. But, you know, most of 2001, Ken Kobashi is out, John. He's wrecked at this point he, physically. His knees are, 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 are non-existent at this point. This man is being put kept together by basically spitting tape, essentially. And so he's out. Like, And Masawa really wanted him, like, Get well. I don't want you working injured. I want you to be able to carry this company. If it means you're out for a period of time, we'll carry on without you. You come back, and then of course Kobashi would come back like later on. Uh, and had a bit the, had a bit of a run. Yeah, so he did. Uh, you know, then 2001 then saw Noah to to kind of alleviate the absence of Kobashi. They opened their doors to working with other promotions like Zero One and, and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And so you had appearances on Noah shows from people like Shinya Hashimoto, uh, Alexander Oskov, and uh, Yuji Nagata, for example. And these all did very, very well for Noah at the box office. Yeah, I actually uh, went back and rewatched uh, Kobashi and Nagata. I watched a bunch of the Kobashi matches knowing that we would be uh, talking about this uh today but that's yeah i i really look at noah at like the early years as pretty much the the crossroads comes to me at march of 2003 with that that masawa kobashi match and there was all of the that pre-period before kobashi wins the title and then it's like on to the next chapter of noah from that period on with the the two-year title run that includes the the two dome shows so we were talking about a you know Basically, 2003, 2004, 2005, three-year period where Noah is, I wouldn't say arguably, John, Noah is the best pro wrestling company on the planet like in terms of in-ring in work and booking. Like, this is the, the apex of their in-ring uh, product. They have an amazing roster, including heavyweights and junior heavyweights. They have a great tag division. And they, you know, and they have, like, you know, the return of Kobashi, which is big big box office for them. Uh, like you're saying, March 1st, 2003, Kobashi defeats Mo, no, uh, Misawa to win his first GHC heavyweight title. His only, I think, GHC heavyweight title um, at Budokan Hall. Uh, this is like, you know, like a legendary match. I, I, I recall Brayden and Davey talked about it on one of their best match ever shows. You you brought it to O'Grady's one night. That's the first time I watched it. It probably was like two or three weeks after the match. You brought it and we watched it after an episode of Raw and I was in awe of this match this is still to my to this day one of my favorite matches i think we kept the most of the crowd after uh for this match John. i recall it being like a pretty sizable crowd that we were watching that thing past like midnight uh this match won rest, match of the year from tokyo sports nikon sports and the wrestling observer newsletter uh the craziest Masala, tiger driver of all time oh yeah masala said afterwards this would be their final singles match with the exception of the opening match of Noah's 2004 Christmas Eve show, which was a 10-minute time limit draw, kind of a comedy match because it was a Christmas show, this would be honored. This is the last time they would ever face each other in a singles match. And you know what? After the the, the punishment these two put through, put each other through, I don't blame them for saying we're never going to wrestle each other in a singles match ever again. I was so happy they never did it again. I thought this is leaving this feud on a high note. 
it was no one no one goes back when you talk about like Masawa Kawada for instance no one goes back to that Tokyo Dome match from 2005 I mean it's it's a fine match it's not terrible but it's not like a memorable one and instead these two they went off with you know this one goes hand in hand with any of their prior matches uh to me if not the top one you could argue that um I was always glad they never went back to to this one even though at times business wise they they could have um hit this button just because it would draw it would draw if they did it again at times when Noah needed it but um yeah personally I was always glad that this was like the last singles match I I had totally forgotten about that exhibition they did which I guess is kind of a a sidebar to their matches as a, also at this time like you pretty much have the emergence of this amazing junior heavyweight division John with led by Naomi Shimarafuji Kenta, you know, uh, Motoko uh, Hashi, uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, he's originally a Noah guy, and, and Ricky Marvin is in this division, and then they would bring in, like, outsiders like, you know, Davey Richards and, and Brian Danielson, and the Briscoes would, would wrestle in the new Noah junior division, and it to me, it was the best junior division of the early 2000s, better than even, you know, the New Japan junior division, which I felt had kind of, like, creatively, you know, and talent-wise kind of gone down from the 90s because a lot of departures and, you know, just the way the company overall overall was being booked at the time. Um, this was like, for me, this is, this is the reason why Noah is my favorite promotion of this time is because of people like Marafuji and Kenta and just how well, like the titles in this division were, were, were booked that the GHC junior heavyweight title and the GHC junior heavyweight tag titles were just always guaranteed to provide some, some really good matches for you, John. Yeah, and remember the time period. This is when Pride is dominated. Like, 2002 through 2006, like, Pride is the top MMA promotion in the world. More so than UFC. UFC really doesn't take off until 2005. And in Japan, I mean, New Japan is largely in shambles at this point. All Japan is trying to stay together. This is during the whole Mudo era. And Noah is going the complete opposite tack that New Japan is. They're presenting their vision of pro wrestling that was resonating. And they were absolutely the, the number one company um, in terms of just uh, quality in-ring product. They're not the financial juggernaut that WWE is. But in Japan, they are the number one company in Japan. And that's when you had pride at its peak. Yeah, and you know this kind of culminates on July tenth, two thousand and four, which is the, the you know the date of Noah's first ever Tokyo Dome show, headlined by you know Akira Kobashi taking on Junakiyama for the GHC title. Another you know epic match, of course, between these two. Um, and then a year later, we would have on July eighteenth, two thousand and five, their second Tokyo Dome event, uh, Destiny, um, featuring Kobashi versus Kensuke Sasaki, and on top. Uh, Toshiaka Kawada versus Mitsuhara Misawa. And, you know, you would think, wow, they must have done really well on this show. They lost 10 million yen on this show. So they needed to start a, a, go, a crowdfunding uh, campaign for this, John. Like maybe they would have been able to, to recoup that money. They needed a human flesh alpha death match on, on this show. Maybe that, maybe that would have been the difference maker. But um, first of all, just um, I do want to talk about that uh, Kobashi uh, Kensuke Sasaki match. But uh, just a few months prior, that's when they take the title off Kobashi with uh, Takeshi uh, Rikio winning the title March 5th. Now, hindsight, I think that tells the tale right there. But at the time, 
What did you think about him being the one chosen to end this legendary title reign of Kenta Kobashi as he's held this title for two years? I thought it was a terrible idea, John. Takeshi Rikio is a tag team wrestler. Uh, that's it. Like, he was never impressive as a singles guy. Like, I, if you know, if like I had my Noah version of the four pillars that I would have pushed if I was, you know, fantasy booking this company, and Rikio would have been the, you know, basically he's the Tawe of the group in the sense, like, okay, he's there, he's in the mix, but like, I don't, I don't ever really belt him. If I do, I don't, I don't keep the belt on him for much longer and i think he faced who did he face on that show john at tokyo Dome? It was tanahashi wasn't it uh yes yes can you imagine if they pulled the trigger and they made tanahashi their champion my god that would have been awesome but i always thought it should have been morishima or it should have been like akiyama again like being the champion i i never thought that rikio was a good idea um just because he didn't have any charisma he had good size he was solid, but he was never a charismatic person. And, like, he just never elevated himself beyond being, like, a mid-card guy, in my opinion. I don't know what they were thinking when they put the belt on him. I'm sure it was, like, we're all beat up. Rikio's probably, like, you know, he's relatively better shaped than most of us in terms of his actual health condition. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't have been the Takeshi that I would have chosen either. I think um, Morishima at that time was the guy that you could have seen being groomed to be that that Terry Gordy level heavyweight star for them. Well, I, I don't I can't remember the timeline is this this would be before he does his ROH title reign. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This is before. I think that really makes him a star like and gives him the confidence to like become eventually the GHC title holder is that ROH run, which I think did wonders for, for Morishima. Like he had it definitely like I would have picked him, but I don't think, you know, Noah was thinking like, can he handle the pressure? And then I think, you know, they sent him to America. They sent him to work for ring of honor and he kills it basically as the, the ring of honor champion. I think he's one of the best ring of honor, you know, heavyweight champions of, in the history of that company. Now, uh, just the other night, I went back to watch the Kobashi Kensuke Sasaki match. This is a match that does not get enough praise. This is like an all-time classic. It's, it's this crowd is electric from the second this starts till the second it ends. It's one of the best chop sequences you're ever going to see in a match. It doesn't overstay its welcome like some of the like chop parodies become. Um, and just the, man, the sweat coming off these two as they're chopping each other. Sasuke's uh, peck is uh, just completely bruised afterwards. This thing is, this is the match to absolutely drop what you're doing and go watch. I would I would argue this might be ahead of Kobashi and Masawa in terms of my my favorite Noah match of this era. But we'll talk about our, well, you know, we, we picked three matches each that we, uh, we would recommend people go watch. But, um... Yeah, I mean, it, it literally, Kobashi Sasaki is, is literally a dream match come to life because if you're going to draw parallels between two guys who are in different companies in the 90s who were kind of stylistically mirrors of each other because both, you know, incorporated like lots of chops in their offense as well as lariats, it would be Kobashi and Kensuke Sasaki. And when they announced that this match was going to happen, I lost my mind, John. I was like, what the fuck? Kensuke Sasaki is going to fight Kenta Kobashi 
Oh my God. And you know, John, you, you, you worry about things meeting your expectations. This exceeded my expectations. When I finally got a chance to see this show and see this match, I was like losing my mind, like with the chop sequence and, and everything, just the, just them coming out, their entrances alone. I lost my mind. It's, it's an unbelievable match. Uh, to me, it's, um, you know, the, the two Kobashi matches from the, to- the Tokyo domes in 2004 and five, if you want, um, uh, a unique commentary track for the Kobashi Junakiyama match on Way's YouTube channel, Way0937. He put up the, because he produced the Noah shows on the Fight Network. So he added the match that Mora Ronaldo and Dan Lebransky called uh, of that match, if you want to hear it uh, in English commentary. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember hearing that, uh, the commentary for that show when, when it was, I think you guys gave me a copy of it. Or, or mouth did, and I I watched it with that commentary. I was like, oh, this is this is actually you know not bad. Like, and it's like really one of the first instances of hearing English commentary, like official English commentary over over a, you know a, a prominent Japanese company in in that time era. Um. So after you know Kobashi, he loses the title. He still has like a big 2005. That's the year uh, he goes to Ring of Honor and has the match with Samoa Joe. But uh, 2006 is when I think time really starts to catch up with uh, Kobashi more so than just you know the physical injuries he's been you know dealing with through for years. Uh, but he also gets cancer in 2006, and that takes him out for a year and a half. And this is really to me. Noah's struggle. It's life after Kobashi. Masawa is drastically reducing his, you know, involvement in terms of being a a main guy, and it's trying to find the successors, which was very tough for Noah. Yeah, I mean, this is also kind of the start of their their financial decline as well. Like on the the April twenty third, two thousand six Budokan Hall show, the company you know announced that they had fourteen thousand two hundred people in attendance. Though the real number was actually reported to be under 10,000, which, you know, if you go to Budokan Hall, that's that's not good. Like, to see that building with less than 10,000 people in attendance, I can't even imagine how, how depressing that would, you know, the perception of that would be, as well as, like, you know, it, you know Noah is basically the successor of, you know, Baba's All Japan, so that was, like, one of their big buildings was Budokan Hall. So for them not to be able to draw in there anymore is is really telling about where the fancy you know, where Noah has has reached in 2006 after like this three year peak that they've had from 2003 to 2005. And like you're saying, like in July of 2006 is when, you know, Masawa announces publicly that Kobashi has kidney cancer and he won't and they don't know when he's going to come back, if ever, to, to the company. And this really is, you know, like where we can see a big decline in, in the, 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 the creative because like, you know, the thing with 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 Noah was like you know they they kind of put everything on the shoulders of Kobashi Masawa and and Akiyama and to some degree Yoshihiro Takayama but like Yoshihiro Takayama's you know in terrible condition he's also now a freelancer so he's actually working more for New Japan Pro Wrestling at this point like along with Minoru Suzuki so they're doing a lot of stuff over in a different company and it it and it really hurts Noah and and I I would have gone with like you know, Marafuji and Kenta, but, you know, they're junior heavyweights. And in, in Japan, especially at that time, the perception is junior heavyweights are not, you know, box office draws. They're not people we headline with. And I think they were way too late when they finally 
had that faith. Like, they did put the title on Marafuji in 06, but it's really, you know, Kenta wins the title in 2013, and he gets that year-long reign, loses the title, and then, you know, he takes off for WWE not that far afterward. But, you know, um, arguably, the like, the most impactful uh, event occurs in June of 2009. That's the in-ring death of Mitsuharu Masawa. It's a a tragic, tragic story of, of him dying during this tag match uh, after taking a Saito suplex. And that's, you know, that comes just a few months after they had lost their, their time slot on NTV, which was not a great time slot. They were like in the middle of the night on Sundays. Um, so at, at this point in time, during the Masawa, uh, during his death, what is um, Noah's, like they're on, they're on G plus at this time. Is that kind of their, only television at this point g plus is basically it and that's a satellite you know that's a cable kind of subscription network you need to pay extra for that so it's not like they're on free tv anymore and like in september of 2008 like uh they're uh this uh, nippon tv uh, affiliate called yamiuri tv which is basically the kansai region which is includes osaka kyoto and kobe cancels Noah and you know you know Kansai is a huge market for wrestling for any company so this is a huge blow to Noah you know on top of everything else that they're they're dealing with financially and in terms of like you know their TV shows and things like that and then you know like June 13th you know Masawa dies and it's just you know, it's just a terrible terrible situation for Noah and like you know like I don't think the company ever recovers from 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 2000 it was tough to recover from 2006 they're never i don't think they've ever especially in hindsight now like you look back and it's like that's the that's where noah dies you know like figuratively and and literally with masala passing away in the ring it's a it's a terrible thing like i can't even imagine the the people who are in attendance and 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 the wrestlers who are you know in the ring with him that that's just it's a horrible horrible thing to have to be you know you know an attendance for or be part of it uh, it was just a shocking moment. I re- I remember being in uh, New York. Actually, I was covering the uh, the International Boxing Hall of Fame weekend, and just on my phone, getting that notice uh, that morning that Masawa had died. It just it was just shocking. Um, at, at the time, it was an enormous news story, and you know, with uh, Kenta Kobashi, I mean, more and more is being leaned on him when, you know, he really can't go at this point. Like he has, he comes back from the cancer at the end of 2007. Then he goes, you know, sparingly for another two years. Then he has this another year and a half layoff due to nerve damage in his arm. And by the end of 2012, his contract is not going to be renewed by Noah. And this is, you know, th- this is a major to me, um, public you know, snafu by this company. I think Noah, they just, you know, whatever state they were in at this time, I think to the public, this was just unforgivable that Kenta Kobashi was being embarrassed in this light, that he was not being renewed. And it led to, you know, several major departures from the company. Yeah, five major wrestlers, they they would jump to All Japan for Wrestling and they would form a group called Burning, which is in honor of Kenta Kobashi, that's the name of his faction in Noah. So it's Junakiyama, Goshizaki, who is like, you know, the guy who's being groomed as the next ace of the company. He leaves with Akiyama, he, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Katara Suzuki, and Asushi Aoki. And of course, Aoki, uh, up until the time of his death, was still a member of All Japan Pro Wrestling. And, and Akiyama is still a member of All Japan Pro Wrestling. It, the 
Kanemaru went to New Japan. You know, after going back to Noah, he then jumped to New Japan along with the you know, Suzuki gun because he was part of that stable when they invaded and what have you. Kataro Suzuki is a freelancer, though he does most of his work in, of course, uh, in, in Noah these days. But, you know, it never recovered. This is also the time uh, former wrestler Jun Izumita releases his book detailing basically the Yakuza connection that, you know, certain members of the office have, you know, with the Yakuza in, in terms of tickets. And, like, it's a very convoluted story. I'm not going to really get into it here, John. But basically, this really you know, messes with Noah a lot as well. This creates a ton of problems. It creates a scandal that, again, I don't think they've ever recovered from it. And then, you know, subsequently you see, you know, like ownership change hands up until recently to Ledette and then now to Cyberagent, which is the parent company of DDT. And we, we have, you know, 2020, you know, the 2020 version of, of Pro Wrestling Noah, which is incredibly different from, you know, the 2003, 2000 to 2005 version of Pro Wrestling Noah. Yeah, and I mean, you saw during the Ledette era, like, really trying to distance itself. I mean, that was a big controversy, just changing the colors and kind of disassociating themselves from, like, that Masawa lineage and to the current product now, you know, under uh, different ownership. I mean, they have at least, you know, in theory, a pretty strong parent company in, in Cyber Agent, at least, you know, prior to the pandemic. I mean, this was at least where in... uh with a massive company at, at this point. And that's where, that's where Noah stands today, but it's certainly, I think um, very distinct chapters in Noah's history. And you don't necessarily feel that link to pre, I would say from pre 2010 to current, it almost feels like there's been three iterations of this company over the 20 years. Yeah. And I mean, for me, like the you know, 2003 and including, you know, 2006, I, I really like a lot of 2006. The undercard is is amazing in the company. Like I'm not as high on the, the, the main event scene per se. It's still good, but like I'm more excited about the junior heavyweights and a lot of the stuff happening with like people like Sugiera, with people like Marafuji and, and you know, like Goshizaki's emerging at this time, like Kensuke Sasaki and Katsuhiko Nakajima, a really young Katsuhiko Nakajima like under 20 Nakajima are, are like doing great things. Minoru Suzuki's working in the company. Tenru had, had come back into the company and he was having these kind of dream tag matches with against Misawa and Kobashi and different people. It, it was a, it was a fun time to be following for wrestling Noah, John. What are your three match recommendations as we uh, wind this down on the history of Noah? So July 18th, 2005, Kenta Kobashi versus Kensuke Sasaki from the Tokyo Dome. Just, one of my favorite matches of, of all time, John, like it's in my top four and it, it kind of floats in between like, you know, number one and number, you know, number two, depending on my, my mood at any given time. Um, I haven't watched it in a while. Maybe I'll go watch it again and then maybe it'll go back to being number one. Uh, from there, January 22nd, 2006, uh, Kenta versus Naomichi Marafuji. Kenta is the defending GHC junior heavyweight champion and they have an unbelievable title match at Budokan Hall. Uh, definitely check out. I think this is the best match ever between these two. Uh, July 16th, uh, 2006, Kenta and Naomichi Marafuji taking on the team of Takeshi Morishima and Takeshi Rikio at Budokan Hall. I love this match, John, because to me, this is like the match where I watched this and after it was done, I thought, okay, these are your four guys. I don't care that two of them are juniors. These are your four guys. These guys should be who you build the company around as your GHC, you know, title situation, you know, titles pitcher, your GHC tag team title pitcher. These are the guys 
as a team, as you know, you know, with different partners eventually. But these are your new four pillars, and they they went with two of them. Well, they went with all of them eventually. You know, every one of these guys would eventually hold it, but by that time it's too late. I think they should have, you know, just said fuck it with you know the division between the juniors and the heavyweights, and just said Kenta and Marufuji, who would eventually be get there anyways. You're heavyweights now, and you know get have them beat people in the heavyweight division and give them you know credibility that way. But they never did that, and you know they suffered for it. I think, and and I think Kenta realized like, okay, you know what, I'm I I should have been champion in this company a long time ago. I should have been a heavyweight a long time ago. Like, let's be honest, John. Naomichi, Marafuji, and Kenta were the two best workers in this company from 2002 up until 2008. Um. My three re- recommendations, uh, I kind of went over two of them earlier. I put the Masawa Kobashi match from March of 2003 um, a- alongside any of their prior matches. To me, its historical significance is is very high because it, to me, marked the start of an incredible, the biggest era of Noah, which is the Kobashi title reign. Um, the, the, the Tiger driver off the stage is, to me, one of the most memorable, if not frightening spots um, in pro wrestling history. And I don't, I, I definitely feel uneasy, like glorifying that spot because, you know, ultimately Masawa, like you can't, it's very hard to go back and watch these Masawa matches with a clear mind, not knowing the end result. Um, I add as well, the Kobashi, uh, Kensuke Sasaki match. This uh, to me, an all time classic, um, to me, maybe even ahead of the Kobashi Masawa match. And number three, a modern classic, March 29th. 2020, Goshi Ozaki and Kazuyuki Fujita. <laughs> I, I'm putting it in there because I know WH wanted to put that as an honorable mention, so I wanted to get it out on my list. See, John doesn't count under you know like uh, the the parameters that we set, which is like the Masawa era of. Uh, but it's fine. It's fine if you want to include it. Um, I hate that match. If not that, I will. I will go back to that that second night. It's it's not their best match, but. Um, the Akiyama Kobashi match, I think just to go back and rewatch, it's, it's a fun match to watch, to see where they, I mean, it's very significant that first night that you've got Kobashi, Masawa and Tawe and Kawada does not make the move over. And it's very much Akiyama is on this level with us. And by the second night it's positioned, he is on top. Like he is going to be, this is, this company is designed for Jun Akiyama to take the, uh, the history of Masawa and Kobashi and build upon it. And that was the ultimate uh, project for Pro Wrestling Noah. And you can argue the success of it. I think there are some that look back now and appreciate Akiyama more and others that, you know, will will state that he he did not get to that level of Masawa and Kobashi. And that was always, to me, the struggle of Noah was the bar being so high in terms of the perception of the audience that could anyone reach that, that level it was almost uh, an impossible level but they certainly went all the way with Junakiyama. you know sometimes i wonder john what would no have been like if kawada had jumped obviously all japan would have died it would have it would have completely disintegrated if kawada had left as well but what if kawada went to noah because if you think about it in that time period if we're talking between 2000 and 2008 this man you know with you know some blips on on the radar but this man has like an amazing 10 year run in all Japan and he gets into amazing shape and he's, he's relatively, you know, you know, injury free for the most part during this time. And like, imagine if they had Kawada 
who's like just killing it in all Japan it, with with a limited number of opponents, like high quality opponents to, to work with outside of people like Kojima and, and Mudo and Tenru for a while. But he's he's like making do essentially in that company. Imagine if he's having the matches with you know Akiyama, Kobashi, uh, and, and you know to some extent Masao, but like some of the younger guys. Unbelievable. I I, I just sometimes think like I'm glad he, he, he stayed. But I'm glad he stayed because All Japan is still alive to this day because he stayed. But it would have been interesting if he was in, if he made the jump with. with it would have built his legacy that much more because I think we're at a period now where Kawada does get somewhat forgotten during, um, you know, post 2000. Um, I, th- I think that that would have. So and, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, he would come in. He would do that. The dome match with, with Masawa. He would have. You know, a, a great run, but it's one that, yeah, tons of what ifs. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, that is, that is a portion that doesn't get talked about enough. Kawada staying with All Japan may have been the difference of All Japan lasting or not. Yeah, definitely. Okay, we're going to finish off now with the theme song contest. So we have four entries here, and we're going to play each of them. So, uh, WH, if you have yours uh, all set up, uh, we're going to start off. Our first entry is from Chris and Dasha, all the way from Melbourne, Australia, who uh, have been regulars when it comes to submitting themes. So we thank them very much for their loyalty when it comes to their creativity. Uh, so, WH, are you all set? Yeah. Okay. So, here is Chris and Dasha with their post pro res theme. Juniors to the heavyweights It's time for that monthly Perez update You're shining light like a torch In the dark It's John Pollock and W.H. Park Post-progress Post-progress It doesn't matter what Anyone else says Post-progress Post-progress Open the dream gate for the best of Starting things off, I think, on a really strong note, WH. I will say, whenever we do these contests, I always had that worry in the back of my mind. Are we going to get entries? So when I get the first entry, that person automatically gets some points in my book. And I think a very solid submission out of the gate. Oh, I I really like this song. I like the lyrics. Um, It's really catchy. And yeah. Great voice. Great voice. Dasha is always doing a great job. I remember they're... they're, uh, their entry for the the dynamite theme uh and that was great too like uh, but this is great i i really like this song i it's gonna be tough to beat this setting the bar high so let us see if uh juan zombie uh can top it he says i go by juan zombie from la big fan of the post office crew i hope you guys like the track and let's see here is juan zombie
Okay, that was Juan Zombie's submission, um, which has no lyrics, which is not we, – we, we, don't, we don't require lyrics, uh, but might make it tougher. Can we agree Might on make that? it tougher. Yeah, I think so, but I, I do like it. I, it has a very kind of uh, J, J-pop feel to it, which it's I – It's original really music, dig. which is what, what we asked for. So, I mean, put, put work into this, and it's uh, – uh, we thank him for the entry. Yeah, I, I I do want to say to One Zombie, it's it's a really pleasant piece of music. I I do think it's going to be tough if you know you're going up against you know entries with with lyrics to them though. Our next one is from Patrick. He says, "So I clearly have zero chance of winning because I don't own the music." Yep, that's uh that's going to disqualify you. So we will listen to this nonetheless. But um, Patrick um. Has submitted this, but also taken himself out of the race. He also went over the time limit, but let's uh, let's listen to his his submission nonetheless. So here is Patrick. Fashion taste is in his soul. Portraits restless, he knows them all. Knowing what to put on your hands and feet. Fans gather around their phone, ready for John to start the show. No stardom you and all Japan. Whoa. WH said Jay White's not over. Better clothes makes better wrestlers. Better wrestlers. Fuck a farley, fuck a farley. No more G1. New Japan tech teams, New Japan tech teams. Need some fresh blood. Kota Ibushi. He is gorgeous. How fit is he? And as for O'Connor's legs, they have their freedom. Well, that's definitely not going to be our theme, but the creativity is through the roof. I, I do like the lyrics. Uh, the songwriting is uh, is really good. I don't know what he's talking about. Like, he doesn't own the music. I didn't hear any music on that. It just sounded like an acapella song to me, John. <laughs> well, um, I guess his tribute to the Codester, as uh, WH would say. We have one more entry here from CM Strike. He says, uh, this is my first contest entry since the Say This for Way contest way back. Yes, that was a very old one. So here is a Chris Maffei uh, with his submission. Chris Maffei. Mm-hmm. I, I really dig that tune. It reminds me of like the from that soundtrack from that Ryan Gosling movie. I think it's Drive. Uh, a cool vibe to it. I, I like I, it. I like the vocoder like on on this like the the effects and i like the outro because i think it would really lead well into like your intro intro to each show every month john so like you know i'm gonna say right now chris and dasha and and chris maffei are my leading contenders and i I think that's very clear um are we gonna choose one uh do you do you have one over the other i i 
you know what? I do have one over the other. Like, I don't know if you do, but I definitely do. I do as well. Um, I am going to crown Chris and Dasha as our, as our champion. Do you agree or do we have a dispute? Uh, I think we're going to have a dispute. I kind of like Chris Maffei's. Oh, a my little goodness. Bit more. Just a little bit more. I, I, I like the kind of the, the – I think it's a great – like got a great beat to it. And that's really like really – you know, putting me over the edge with this. I, I like Chris and Dasha's a lot too, but I just like the outro a little bit more. Okay, we have two, we have two options. Okay, and you can decide what we do here. We can put this to a vote on the forum, and then the winner we will start the show off with next month, or we could incorporate where one is the intro, one is the extra to the show. I think I, Chris's I like- Chris's would have to be the extra that we go out to. Oh, like uh, Chris Maffei's? I feel that one would work. I I think that Chris and Dasha's doesn't really work as as an extra. But should we put this to a vote? What is your what what is your solution to this? Well, why don't we put it to let's combine the two ideas, put it to a vote. Which one should be the you know which one should be the intro, and then which whichever one doesn't win the intro vote is our our extra. Okay, I love that? both. I love both submissions. Okay, so we're gonna put the vote up. So uh, thank you to all of our uh, submission uh, entries. Uh, Chris and Dasha from Melbourne and Chris Maffei are the finalists of the Post Pro Res theme song contest. The Bret Hart Lex Luger at the end of this show. Uh, so you can vote. And this has been a lengthy edition of Post Pro Res. So that is going to uh, end things off. Very fun show, WH. I really like the uh, the history uh, piece that we did this month. We'll have to yeah. come up with other similar themes in the future. Definitely. We can do a, a whole history of human flesh slicer, alpha tag death, uh, fluorescent light tube death matches. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, food for thought. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. WH and I will be back in a couple of weeks. You can follow him at WH Park 9. But maybe the biggest news of all is that if you crave more WH Park, well, you are in luck because next weekend we are launching a new series. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yes, I saved it for the main event here at the end. It is it is WH Park's new series. So if everyone uh, wants more WH in their life, you get it starting next weekend. Yeah, the long and winding Royal Road. My look at my look back at you know All Japan Pro Wrestling of the 1990s. Uh, we start the series off with kind of a, a, a prologue episode, a, a episode zero, John. Uh, we look at the creation of the Triple Crown uh, Championship, the, the main title of this era. And uh, I look at uh, the, the matches that lead to the creation, kind of the, the, the history behind his creation. And uh, joining me on that show is uh, video essayist uh, Joseph Montecilio, who's doing some amazing work. If you haven't checked out his YouTube channel, totally check it out. He just put up this awesome Daniel Bryan, da- Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, like as the greatest wrestler of all time video that's like over an hour. It's really good. And he does extensive work looking at this era as well. Um, also, like John, I'm going to I'm going to be on the, the up next uh, Patreon, I think, doing a movie review of uh, I don't know if it's on the free feed or on the, the page feed, but I'm going to be we're going to be doing a movie review of uh, My Dad is a Heel Wrestler starring one Hiroshi Tanahashi. I'm also going to be appearing uh, on uh, ProRes Paradise with Alan Farrell over at the torch uh, we're going to look at uh picking some 
of our favorite best of the super juniors uh, matches because Alan's doing a series this uh, recently based around like some you know different guests picking their favorite matches from this particular tournament. So I'll be on that uh, I think this coming week as well. We're recording sometime this week and it's going to go up on the, that site soon. And I think that's all I have for plugs. Right well, now. go check out all of those shows. You can find uh up next, uh, patre- uh, patreon.com slash up next, uh, Alan show at uh, pwtorch.com, and of course, WH residing at postwrestling.com. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a news- new post pro res, and we'll have some fancy music coming in and out of the show for your listening pleasure. So thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll speak with you next time.